Welcome to the Elijah Rising podcast. Elijah Rising is an organization empowering women recovering from sexual exploitation. This episode is going to help you become more aware about the issue of sex trafficking and inspire you to take action. Hey, you guys, welcome back to the Elijah Rising podcast. I'm your host, John, and I am very thankful and very honored to have Amber Sharp, the executive director of Home of Hope, with us on this podcast. She is the director of one of the few remaining homes for children um, that are being rescued from trafficking in our in our region. And so we wanted to bring her on to have what I believe is going to be a very important conversation for our viewers and really for our population, those who are following the movement um, if we don't start with the children, we, we're, we're missing the inception point. We're missing the origin place. And so, Amber, thanks so much for being with Thank us. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Would you just share with our audience the mission, vision, the really the desired goal of Home of Hope? Yeah, absolutely. So Home of Hope was created to be a residential treatment center. We bring mm-hmm. in minors, females between the ages of 8 and 17. Wow. Um, the youngest we've had so far um, is 11. And, mm. and it's heartbreaking. I've, yeah. I remember even before we were opening, we got a phone call for a nine-year-old. And people mm. often ask, do they really, does it happen that young? And it does. Yeah. And so that's the age range that we serve. And we really want to provide hope and healing to mm. these girls, restore their identity. Mm. Uh, we bring in those who've been trafficked, sexually exploited, sexually abused, and then those that are falling most at risk of being in that category. Because we also mm. believe if we can step in and intervene and provide any sort of prevention from yeah. someone having to go through that trauma that we want to be kind of the hands and feet of Jesus to do that. Amazing. Yeah. Well, you shared a little bit with me off camera. So I want to ask you just personally, your journey, what what provoked you? What inspired you? What was the, the leading drive for you to step into a role like this, right. to put yourself in a position where you day in and day out are encountering trauma and the trauma of children? Yeah. I'd, I'd say if I knew what I was getting into, I may not have said yes. Um, but my background, I was actually, I was adopted myself. And mm. so I grew up in a home, foster care and adoption. That was kind of my world. Mm. And so uh, when I got older, I just knew that's going to be a part of who I am and who I was. And so my husband and I fostered for about five years. Mm. We had 20 kids in and out of our home during that time, always mm. taking sibling groups. And so I really saw abuse and neglect and trauma yeah. and understood the importance of connecting with these kids mm. uh, it looks different. Parenting looks different when you're dealing with kids with trauma and kids yeah. from hard places. And we really got kind of a crash course in that right away. Mm. Uh, we went from zero kids to three overnight <laughs> wow. and never had less than three kids. So mm. we didn't really get to ramp up or learn, you know, traditional parenting. We learned what it was like to parent kids, kids from hard places and mm. the foster care system. And so that's just been my journey in my heart. And um, a couple years ago, I got a phone call uh, about Home of Hope and needing mm. some new leadership and direction and felt like this is you know, this is what God's called me to do. Again, if I had known everything, it's one thing to know about foster care and the system, but when you add trafficking and the trauma and the real ugly that comes with that, it's a whole nother world. And uh, my Mm. eyes have just been open over the last few years of the realities Mm. um, and really how prevalent it is. It's all around us. Yeah. So what's the difference between someone like you and someone who hasn't had any exposure to foster care, any exposure to really what happens to children in um, vulnerable situations. Like, well, I guess my question is, what inspired you to take on someone else's pain, someone else's child, someone else's journey? Like, what is the difference 
between you and someone who's like, what do you mean right. taking in three kids? I mean, for me, the difference has been my relationship with Jesus and just mm-hmm. feeling that call that I can't do everything, but I can do something. Yeah. And everyone's something looks different. Mm-hmm. So I'm just a firm believer that on the spectrum of the continuum of care that mm-hmm. these kids need, everybody can find their place. And even if Come that's on. supporting the people who are in the trenches and out in the field doing mm-hmm. the work, we all have a role to play. And I think it just comes from being willing to be educated yeah. on the issue and being willing to say yes to my something I can do. And that's, mm-hmm. that applies to everybody. So there's really nothing special about me other Amazing. than I'm being willing to kind of put myself out there with the heart. And if I don't do it, who will? Yeah. Um, I often tell people they would ask me questions even about fostering. How how can you do that? And how can you go through mm. the pain? And I would say as an adult who has a relationship with Jesus, who mm. has family and friend support, mm-hmm. who can pick myself up and keep moving, to say I can't handle the pain in comparison to what these kids have been yeah. through— um, I think I can handle the mm-hmm. hurt. And even the times when the kids have to leave, I can handle that knowing mm-hmm. that I'm helping to shoulder a little bit of those, the burdens of the kids. So That's incredible, Amber. So let's talk a little bit about the population that comes through. Can you give us just kind of at a, a surface level, you have to go through all the nuances of it, but in taking a child into the home, what does that process look like? And where are these children coming from? Are they coming from CPS? Are they coming from homelessness? Are they coming from governmental kind of assistance? Right. Or what does all of that look like? They really are coming from a lot of different avenues. We mm. have really, even right now, our population is split between CPS referrals, so mm. those who are in the system mm-hmm. who have maybe on runaway status, they were trafficked Mm -hmm. and or those who are being placed by families. So we have private Mm -hmm. placements as well. So what we see a lot is girls in most cases, there are definitely boys who are being trafficked, but Mm -hmm. in a lot of the cases, girls are being caught up in online, just the grooming, the luring that comes with that. And then Mm -hmm. ending up being caught up in trafficking and not really knowing that that's what they were getting into. And so Private family placements, we get calls from detention centers. Uh, mm-hmm. If they discover maybe maybe there's a girl in the detention center and she was busted on something, and mm-hmm. as things happen and come out or she's in therapy, we realize there's an outcry made and she yeah. was actually involved in trafficking. So mm-hmm. we don't want her to be in a detention center. We want her to get services and get help. And so we yeah. get calls from detention centers. We we actually got a call just yesterday from a detention mm-hmm. center in Dallas wow. um, to to possibly transport a girl here because mm-hmm. there's not a lot of homes for minors, like you said, yes. specializing in the work of trafficking and exploitation and being mm-hmm. under able to understand kind of the needs of that unique population. Wow. So we serve 18 to 45 at our, at our population. And a lot of what we see is this um, almost jadedness because you're coming into a whole new world. You're coming to a whole new environment with structure and real love and right. real care how is that with children? You, They still have some of that innocence. They still have some of that wonder about them. What is the, I don't know, the experience that you would say of a child coming in? Do they feel more resistant? Do they feel very like, oh, I've needed this kind of love and attention? Right. You would hope it would be that. Yeah. <laughs> the reality is it's usually not. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's even in our experience with foster care. We earn, learned early on, we're not there and saying, we rescued you. And these kids are saying, totally. thank you. We're mm. so glad to be here. There's nobody coming in the door saying that. Yeah. And it's the same way in our home. There's mm-hmm. really not a girl coming in and saying, thank you. I'm so glad to be here. Mm-hmm. She may know the reality of her need to be there and yeah. that she needs help and she needs hope and healing. Mm-hmm. Um, but they come in the same way. Uh Lots of structure, no cell phone, no social media, no internet. And so most teenage girls especially, I would say the majority of our population we serve is that 13 to 17-year-old mark. Mm -hmm. 
nobody wants to be in the middle of nowhere with the cows and the horses and, yeah. you know, what we have as opposed to social media. And so there's mm-hmm. definitely resistance there. And it just takes time. It mm-hmm. takes consistency day in and day out from our staff for the girls to realize they are lovable, yeah. that there are trustworthy individuals, because mm-hmm. we can't work on really even changing their heart or their behavior until they've got a trustworthy connection. Absolutely. They're not going to believe what you say till they believe in you. Right. Yeah. And so we have to really work on that relationship and that connection mm-hmm. with them. And it just takes a long time. I wish they would come in just like, <laughs> tell me what to do. Yeah. But usually it doesn't happen that way. Sure. Yeah. I mean, we, I can't imagine the amount of trauma that these kids have been through. Mm-hmm. Um, so how long is a child typically in your program? If, if they were to finish it to completion, what does that look like? On average, it's going to be nine months to 12 months. Okay. Um, We work them through. We've created a program called STEPS. So they move Mm. from safety to teamwork to empowerment to preparation to success. Mm. And so each one of those steps along the way has a certain time period. There's Mm. goals that must be achieved. Mm. Um, And they're really not so much behavior-based goals. Of course, we wish they would not cuss or or not yell at us or throw things. Um, But we really are after the healing of their heart. And so how are we, what are the goals that we have on a day-to-day basis that we're engaging in therapy, Mm -hmm. right? We're eating nutritiously and getting our water so that our mind and our body can be prepared to receive. We're engaging in schoolwork so that we're not getting Mm -hmm. further behind because we do school on campus. Everything is done on campus. So the girls are enrolled in school. Mm -hmm. Um, We work to catch them up if they're behind. Um, And first and foremost, we're working on their trauma. So Mm -hmm. all the other things are secondary, but they're important. So Mm -hmm. we don't want to leave them behind. Um, But going through each of those goals and those steps usually takes nine to 12 months. Okay, awesome. Okay, so we talked about in the beginning that there aren't very many homes. Mm-hmm. And you would think it'd be the other way around in terms of more homes for children, not as many for older adults because right. adults are hard to constrain right. in programs and right. like get them into structure. Why do you think it's been so difficult for us to have homes that take in the vulnerable, the marginalized? Why right. Why are there so few of you? Right. I I think there are several factors. One of them is definitely the legislative world that we live in makes Mm. it a little more difficult. Mm. Everybody who comes to our campus as an employee every day is putting themselves at risk as of an allegation, Mm. of an investigation. And Mm. so as a home that takes in children, we're just under that additional scrutiny and red tape. It just comes with the territory. And not that it doesn't need to be there. We're caring for children. So there has to be Mm. oversight and accountability and structure to it. But it's an added risk that everybody who says, Mm. yes, I want to work in this field signs up for. So I think that's one thing. Another Mm. is just the ratios of the care that it takes to Mm. deal with children as opposed to adults. Mm. The adults are hard, but they are more independent, right? They can survive on their own um, in most cases. And so for us— in the world of trafficking, we have a ratio of four to one hmm. mandated by the state. The reality oh. is we need a two to one. So for oh, every wow. two children, we need an adult. Mm-hmm. And and the other day I was talking to someone and this phrase just stuck with me. On paper, an, an organization like ours for children is not very efficient, but it's mm-hmm. effective. And mm-hmm. so numbers and dollar wise and putting things on sure. paper, it doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. And so I think that is also another barrier or hurdle for people. Mm-hmm. Um the funding. So yeah. how do we continue to operate and sustain mm-hmm. at a level where we can afford 
around the clock care because in these homes with children, we have to have someone awake all night long. Oh, they're okay. awake and they're physically checking on the kids every 15 minutes in our oh, home. Wow. So we go and look at them. We have to jot down, are they sleeping? Are they mm-hmm. journaling? Are they mm-hmm. awake? Um, and so around the clock, we have to pay for somebody to be there. And during the day when they're awake, it's for every two children, mm-hmm. we have an adult who's mm-hmm. there on campus plus administrative help. So yeah. I think just the financial barriers. Um, and also you hit on it earlier. There's not a lot of teens and kids who are saying, yes, please help me. Mm -hmm. And so the receptiveness to be able to come in and say, I want to work the program. Mm -hmm. We still deal with a lot of girls going missing because they run away. We, with this, I still want to be out there in that life because they've been brainwashed. Their needs were taken care of. They got to do kind of what they wanted to. So yes, there's the trauma and everything that comes with it. But to get these girls to a place to realize their Mm self-worth and their Mm self-value enough Mm -hmm. to realize there's another and a better way, it's really hard work. So it's hard work. It's heart work. Mm -hmm. We have to have people who feel called to it and can get in there. I think the burnout is just difficult. Again, when you deal Mm -hmm. with kids who on a daily basis disrespect you, right? Because they don't care. They, yeah. That trust hasn't been there. And so to find uh, people who feel called and that mm. can get through that hard and get to the other side of that plateau. Because yeah. we see it these with these girls, and it's the same with adults. There's always, it's a cycle. Mm. So we make some progress, we regress. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We make some progress, we regress. And yeah. we have to remind ourselves we're planting seeds every day, even if we don't get to see the fruit Amen. of all the seeds that we're planting, we yeah. are. But I think those all those barriers are really factors that really make it more difficult for mm. homes for minors to not just open, but to sustain. Yeah. There's a big expense just for insurance because of the risk factors oh, wow. associated with youth. Mm. And so just trying to find insurance companies to mm-hmm. override the the insurance, even things that we don't even think about like that make it really difficult. Wow. So there's a lot of factors involved. So can I ask you, are you guys government funded? Are you private supported churches, other grants? What does that look like? It's all of the above for us to work. Um, We do have, so if a referral comes from CPS, it's Mm. just like a foster care child. So we do get a stipend with that child. Mm. It doesn't cover what we need for them, but it's a help. Private placed individuals, we, if the family cannot pay, and in most cases they cannot pay, mm-hmm. we look for funding outside of that. We do have a partner organization in California that helps us mm-hmm. quite a bit with privately placed individuals who need assistance. Wow. Um, we do apply for any grant we can find to get our hands on, but mm-hmm. that's definitely a need. We have someone to just focus on grant writing mm-hmm. um, and then churches and individuals. So monthly donors and monthly support is okay. a big thing for us just so that we know we can keep going. But mm-hmm. all of all of the buckets, we, we don't leave no stone left, no stone unturned, <laughs> yes. nothing left behind. <laughs> that's amazing. So as I said to you in the beginning, I really wanted this podcast to be an opportunity for us to leverage our audience to support and um, be exposed to one, the need, but also the work that you guys are doing. And so, um, you just mentioned needing a grant writer. If anybody wants to apply for grant writing with (laughs) home of hope, but what are some other needs that you guys have within the organization? What, what would be uh, a strength to you guys? If you could say, Hey, these are some baseline things that we need. Right. Definitely volunteers. So especially on the weekends. So we have a really Mm. good structure Monday through Friday because of school and the therapies, all the things that go on. Mm. Um, On Saturdays, the girls do go to equine therapy. We go to church on Sundays. So they have some time away from the campus on the weekends. Mm. But having volunteers or groups to come in with a planned activity, especially on a Saturday or a Sunday afternoon, would be an awesome help because it just Mm. breaks up the mundane and it helps with our direct care staff so much. So volunteers who want to come and help. We have um, events like a golf tournament coming up, so we always need volunteers for 
fundraising events. Mm-hmm. Again, grant writer would be awesome because I know that there's money out there. Um, just finding people who would want to help with our expenses. You know, mm-hmm. I'm like, I need a power partner, someone who will just pay our utilities every month, wow. right? It's yeah. expensive out there. We have no competition. So we got one and done and yes. that's it. And so yes. just finding people to find what is their thing that they can do. And every, like mm-hmm. I said, everyone can do something, but from volunteers to support, we also need employees. We mm-hmm. need direct care staff especially on weekends. That's okay. our hardest time to feel. Mm. Evenings and weekends um, are our hardest time, and we need lots of support because usually administrative personnel are not there, mm-hmm. and that's usually when we just need extra hands on deck. Too, totally. Right. <laughs> and that's largely just female volunteers, yes. female support. Right. Okay. Yes, on the campus. Now, there, I've thrown this idea out to a couple of people, and I'll throw it out here. Mm. We would love some godly men mm who would come to the ranch once a month mm-hmm. and do life skills, how to change a tire, oh, cool. oil change, mm-hmm. maybe do a little maintenance around the ranch yeah. so that the girls can start being around mm-hmm. positive men because awesome. that is definitely a barrier. And so it's not that men can't come. Obviously, we background check everyone and we go mm-hmm. through the right processes, um, but just finding the way that that kind of a solution would work best in that kind of environment because mm-hmm. we do we have groups that come sometimes a Sunday school class will come in and it's men oh, and okay. women and they'll mm-hmm. come and do an activity with the girls and okay. so we do a little bit of a training with any volunteer that comes in but there are opportunities for both as far as employees for drug care females is what we are definitely Absolutely. looking for but there's always ways for men to get involved yes okay that's really good to know so if you guys were at capacity, how many how many children could you have on site with what right. you have resource? Such a trick question. So from a licensing perspective, we're licensed for 19, but okay. we are in um, about a six-bedroom house on 39 mm. acres. So okay. the reality is, I tell people, that's way too much trauma and drama mm. in one little house. Sure. Um, so our capacity looks like 8 to 10, and we really mm. live at 4 to 6. So okay. for us to be able to be effective, as I mentioned earlier, we mm. don't want we want to be really intentional with every girl in the home. Yes. And we want to make sure that we're not adding to the trauma with the drama mm-hmm. that comes with that many girls in kind of a small space. Absolutely. And so we try to be as intentional as we can and as effective as we can. Mm-hmm. Um, we do have beds available right now. We have okay. two beds available um, to get us up to our current capacity. Yeah. And again, our capacity really caps because of we don't have enough direct care. Yeah, Being in the location that we are, we're mm-hmm. an undisclosed location for a good reason in mm-hmm. the middle of nowhere. Um, and so everyone commutes in. There's yeah. nobody that really lives in that small town. Mm-hmm. Everyone's a commuter. And for us to increase capacity, we have to have more direct care staff. Yeah. We could ramp up right away if mm. we had enough workers to come to the ranch. But as I mentioned, with us having to have mm. one adult for every two children, it gets mm. really difficult to have enough staff yeah. day in and day out to be able to ramp up. So it's so one of the things that we have prayed for when we think about organizations like yourself, one of the main emphasis that Jesus gives us is pray to the Lord of the harvest to send workers into the field. And so for you to say that, I mean, it just directly hits me in a personal way, because as you said at the beginning, there are ways that everyone is supposed to participate in this continuum of care. It doesn't have to be, you know, in the home with these women, but I mean, what does $50 a month, $100 a month do for an organization like you that is trying to Mm -hmm. grow, you know? And so I, how do we endeavor as a community? Um, I say this all the time. If, if, if people are listening, they've heard me say this before. We're not waiting for a person of power to come into office. We're not waiting for new legislation to be written. Right. We're waiting for the people of God to be who they are in the earth. Right. Like That's going to be the, the catalyst and the change that we need to bring transformation. Right. How do we as a community endeavor and sustain protecting children from 
really the coercion of trafficking, the 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 wiles and the allurement of the world. Right. Just as a foster parent, as a director of a home for girls, right. what do you? How can you cast vision to our community to really protect right. our children, the, the ones around you? Right. Uh, if anyone from my team is watching this, they're going to laugh right now because I'm like the queen of acronyms. I okay. feel like there should be an acronym for everything you have to remember because that's just life and it's easier. Mm-hmm. So um, in thinking about, you know, this, because we get asked this a lot, how can we help? And when it comes to trafficking, I say we have to care. We have mm-hmm. to connect with mm-hmm. those around us. So every every one of us, God has placed youth in our circle of influence yes. somewhere. And if we don't connect with them and mm. be a positive influence and be someone that they can come to, it's the vulnerable mm. that get swept into this yeah. kind of thing. It's those who are left unattended. It's mm. those who don't have what they need as far as mentorship and oversight and accountability. Yeah. So we have to connect with those around us. And if mm. we are um, constantly connecting, then we're going to be able to bug that person to the point of yes. if something's happening, they know that they can come to us, that we're a mm-hmm. safe person. And then advocacy. Mm-hmm. We have to be able to advocate when we see something, to get yes. uncomfortable with uncomfortable conversations, mm-hmm. to ask uncomfortable questions, to be willing to have a loud voice when it needs to be had, yes. when there needs to be something that's advocated for, whether it's mm-hmm. in your home. Mm-hmm. You may not need to have a kid on social media. There no. may not need to be apps on that kid's phone, right? Yes. And um, if there's anything I've learned in this space, it's, you know, as a as a parent, we would not just open the window of our bedroom for mm-hmm. our kids and let any stranger come in. Totally. But when we give them a cell phone and it's not locked down, mm-hmm. those apps are windows and anybody gets to yes. just come on in. That's and right. so we have to really protect that, advocate mm-hmm. for what's needed in the home, outside of the home, mm-hmm. as far as legislation or laws or change that we need to see, mm-hmm. and then respond. So yeah. we can advocate. We also have to respond to the needs. So That's homes right. like ours, organizations like Elijah Rising that mm-hmm. are doing the work, how can we respond and lock mm-hmm. arms with them and yes. be educated is the E. So mm-hmm. connect, advocate, respond, and educate. So Make sure clear. that we're cha- we're sharing in that vision so that no kid is being left behind. There's mm-hmm. nobody that's being kind of left to the wolves, yes. um, that we're advocating for what needs to happen. And then be aware that it does happen. I think mm-hmm. that's another thing is that people feel like it's the movie Taken and that exactly. someone's just going to sweep up and kidnap you. And mm-hmm. in this day and age, not that it doesn't happen that way, but the majority of the time it's starting on social media yeah. and it's starting with untrustworthy relationships. Totally. And so we have to counteract that as a body of Christ mm-hmm. and be willing to get uncomfortable and kind mm-hmm. of insert ourselves into the marginalized, those most vulnerable, and those who need our help. Yeah, that's so clear, the care model. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Um, take notes, you guys. <laughs> um, I guess just as we're kind of winding down, in your in your purview, your perspective, what does partnership look like? I'm, I'm someone who really, I mean, it's why we're doing this. Right. I, I, we need each other. We need each other, and we need to support and leverage our strengths to cover one another, to fill in the gaps. Right. What does partnership look like for you? If there's another organization listening and, you know, interestingly enough, there's several organizations that are kind of on the fringe right now of of what you even said where Home of Hope was. Like, do we continue or do we strengthen what remains or we go somewhere else like that are just waiting to go, Lord, how do we move forward into our future? Where do we lend our resources, our strengths. What does partnership look like for you guys? If if you could envision kind of a perfect case scenario, you've got, you've got a trafficking organization here in Houston. Who's like, how can we help? You've got, um, you know, a church ministry who's got a food bank. They're they're going, how do we use what we have to bless? Yes. And all of those ways that you mentioned, we currently just go to the local grocery store and buy groceries, right? So 
Um, food pantries, because we're a licensed child care facility, if anything's expired, we don't get to use that, right? Sure, and yeah. so sometimes food banks don't work. But we have a lot of Sunday school classes or organizations that will mm. say, what do you need? Or we're giving you Kroger gift card or, oh, you know, awesome. H-E-B. So gas cards are a big, mm. easy thing for yeah. our staff. Again, we commute. All of them mm-hmm. are commuting. So that's a tangible way. Um, just, as I mentioned, volunteers. And I would say for anyone, you know, we've, I've had this discussion with many because they'll say, we need more homes. We need more homes mm-hmm. because there's all these kids. Yeah. The reality is we need to strengthen the homes that exist. Exactly. Uh, because the foundation is there. Mm-hmm. The framework is there. And we still have capacity that we could tap into if mm-hmm. we had enough workers. Yes. But we don't have enough workers. Yeah. We don't have consistent. And every time we turn over and, you know, there is burnout in this industry. But every time there's mm-hmm. a turnover in staff, we have to kind of start back over with that kiddo because we're trying to build connection and trust. Absolutely. And so that's the foundation of everything that we do. Mm-hmm. So if there are organizations out there and you you have a heart for this work, mm-hmm. Find out what is already going on, yeah. right, in your community, in your arm's reach. Mm-hmm. What can you link arms with and do? Because we mm-hmm. don't need to do more things. We need to do what we're doing better, exactly. right? We need to link arms and collaborate well. And so um, the manpower to just come out and, mm-hmm. and be employees or volunteers. Right now I have like 10 dead trees that need cut down, right? Okay. So yeah. there might be a tree cutting company come that could on. come get the dead trees out for us before yes. they fall on the house. Yes. So we just, where we're at and, you know, just laying it out there operationally, we just don't have the financial mm. funds and capital mm-hmm. to do some things that need to be done because we have to do the things that have to be done, exactly. right, on a daily basis. And so I would say the biggest thing for us is definitely that financial support just mm-hmm. to continue to operate and then the employees and manpower to continue to take in more girls so that mm. we can care for more um, in our home. Mm. But there's so many ways, the volunteering, um, the girls need life skills. So we're looking for like a home ec person to come yes. in and in the afternoon, let's teach cooking and mm. sewing and all mm-hmm. those kind of things. So any, I would say because of what we do and it being almost, you know, we're a family unit. If you can think about what you do in life, or what you're mm-hmm. passionate about, mm-hmm. there's a way to apply it for come these on. girls. There's Excellent. a way to pour into them and to raise them up. They need mentors. They mm-hmm. need, they have advocates that come and visit. Most of our girls do have a mentor. Um, so someone that just can be one-on-one and be kind of another mm-hmm. voice and, and listening ear for them. All yeah. of our girls need as many trustworthy and capable adults to pour into them and love mm. on them as possible because they've been told the exact opposite for yeah. years and it's going to take time to get them to understand their worth and their value. Absolutely. So. Oh, that was so practical. I'm like already in my mind thinking of all the people that I know that I'm like, okay, yeah. easy. Yeah. Yes. yes. Come teach a cooking class. Yes. You do it for a living. That's like, right. Yes. Okay. That's Absolutely. incredible. So, I mean, I guess just final remarks. I mean, you've given us ways that people can partner, ways that people can volunteer. I'm curious. Um, I thought about this earlier. After a, a, a young girl goes through the nine to twelve month program, mm-hmm. what's typically the process after that? Are they the new people who are ready to engage society again, or what does that right. again continuum of care look right. like? Um, everyone's at a different place, and so we actually just had a resident discharge about three weeks ago to go back home. Mm. Um, and so, part of our, as I mentioned, our steps kind of process that. The S for steps is success, and that's really Home of Hope's part and aftercare that we they agree when they go through our program that we will reach back out to them mm-hmm. 30, 60, 90 days post-discharge yeah. to check on them and to see, are you still in therapy? Mm-hmm. Are you in school? Yeah. Are you taking prescribed medications, right? Mm-hmm. Are you doing the things that you need to do to be successful? Are you safe? Yeah. Are you displaying safe behaviors? Mm-hmm. Um, so we check in with them. We also try to equip the parents with resources. So yeah. um, even though it's not necessarily a part of our program, we are really big advocates and proponents of making sure we're ministering to the whole family. When there's family oh, involved, 
Um, we have a girl starting family therapy today with her mom before mm. she's on her path to go back home because wow. we want to really make sure that when they go home, mm-hmm. they're set up for success as much as yes. possible. Um, and so we try to give them those resources. We um, just recently got in partnership with an organization. It's a software called Bark, mm. and they help with social media. If, if a kid's doing something that looks mm. not okay, um, the Bark can actually alert parents as Come to on. what's going on. And they just wow. gifted us subscriptions for all of our parents when the girl goes home to be able mm. to monitor their social media Amazing. accounts. And so there's things like that that I would even just say as a general population to mm. look into how are we, pro- again, protecting our kids yes. to prevent what we see on a daily basis from happening, mm. um, but also to rally around and support girls when they go home because mm. we want that we make sure, again, that's why we want them to have mentors and advocates because they will stay with them. So yeah. long after they leave our program, mm. there's somebody who's been consistently with them while they're in our program and after yeah. to make sure that they have the aftercare that they need. They don't mm. leave perfect. They don't sure. leave you know, never making a mistake. They mm. don't leave never uh, messing up again, but they do leave equipped and educated yeah. and with knowing they have a place to come back to if they need to. It's amazing. Oh, yeah. I'm so grateful that you guys exist. So for those who are listening right now and are, who are stirred, what's a way that they can reach you, your website, an email that right. they can have? Absolutely. You can reach out to, um, our website is www.homeofhopetexas.org. Mm. You can email info at homeofhopetexas.org. Um, okay. And then our Facebook, our social media handles are all home of hope texas so you can find us any of those ways awesome so for those of you listening if there were any ways that you were provoked i mean i I feel like there's some of you who are like i know someone who can lend their strength and their resources to support this organization just want to invite you again home of hope texas to lend your strength your agreement and always you can reach out to us at elijah rise and we'd love to connect you Our desire is to network networks in the city. We have to come together collaboratively to see this work accomplished. It's not one superstar organization. It's all of us together. And so we're so thankful that you joined us on this podcast. Amber, thank you so much again. Until next time, we'll see you guys. Thank you for joining us today for this episode. If you were inspired by this content today, please share, rate, and leave a review. Also, please consider making a donation at ElijahRising.org slash donate. Your support helps us continue the vital mission to combat sex trafficking. Until next time.